Okay, hello everyone. Hello, good to be here. Great to see. Uh, great to see some of you already tuning in from a bunch of different places around the world. Hello, Devora and Michelle and Tinkle Tink, Crystal from Australia. Hello, Matana. Hi, friends. All right, yes, if you're just joining in, hey, Mihaela. Uh, if you're just joining in, uh, yeah, please do that. Let us know where you're watching from. Say hello. It's great to see this. Great to feel together. Um, yeah, so welcome, everyone. Um, my name is Joseph. If, uh, if we haven't met already, I am a senior instructor and creative director at CubU. CubU is our online educational center dedicated to teaching the authentic wisdom of Kabbalah and the science of connection that originates from it. Today's topic is, are we living in a simulation? Where really are we? Um, of course, we're going to talk about the simulation hypothesis if you've heard about it, but most of all, we're going to get into what Kabbalah has to say about that. How does Kabbalah see this reality that we are in. What is it really from a Kabbalistic perspective? Uh, if you have questions as we go, throw them into the chat. Don't think it. Just go ahead and throw it into the chat. We have our amazing Linda behind the scenes here. Uh, she's our moderator and she'll try her best to make sure that no question is lost and she'll put it in some uh, uh, documents so when we get to the questions... Uh, I'll have them lined up for me. So thanks to Linda for that. And please do send your questions whenever they come up. So uh, I think we are ready to go. I'm seeing more and more uh, uh, people tuning in from many different places. I see England and Denmark and uh, Oakland and Michigan and Cape Town, New York City, Washington, D.C., Rotterdam, Holland. Amazing. Bogota, Colombia, that's great. Hey, Alabama's in the house. All right, I think we're ready to go. So, are we living in a simulation or where are you? Coming up right now. So, um, this is, are you familiar with this? This is one of those, um, I think they call it a 7D theater or a, uh, or a, uh, 5D or 12D, something D. Anyway, this is one of those, uh, small cinemas like this movie theater where you go in and as you can see, the, the chairs, they kind of move according with some, 3d movie that you're watching um and actually let me let me play this on loop so you can kind of get the feel of it so uh yeah and you see sometimes there's even um some things that are happening uh in the in the whole place like um uh, water is sprinkled on the face of the participants or other things happen but the idea is that it's a very immersive uh, kind of experience, and uh, the reason I, uh, I'm telling you about it is because recently uh, my wife and I took the kids and we went to a thing like that, 
Uh, it's a short movie, so it's just like it's a 10-minute thing or maybe 15-minute thing, something like that. And th- th- there's not too many. It's as if you're in a first-person point of view. So it's like you're in the movie and typically there is some sort of a roller coaster ride or some sort of a thing like that and things happen as if to you. And of course what's happening on the screen and you also wear these glasses, you have these 3D glasses so it looks like it's right in front of you. And what happens there in that experience is in sync with the movements of the chair and so forth. So you get the idea. Uh, if you haven't visited a, a thing like that, I did go with uh, my wife and kids uh, a while ago. And here's the thing. For a few moments, when you're in that immersive experience, even though you came there knowing that you're, you're going to sit in a chair and you're going to put on the 3D glasses and things are going to look like they fly at your face and so forth, for a moment or two during the experience, you tend to forget that you're actually sitting in a chair in front of a screen wearing 3D glasses and and all the rest. You kind of lose yourself in the immersive experience and you forget that you're not actually in there. You're sitting in a chair in a different reality. And the question we want to bring up today is this. Is it possible that... Actually, we are sitting in a different place or we are existing in a different mode. Is it possible that our current reality, which we uh, experience as very real and very uh, physical, material, and visceral and sensual, right, Is it possible that this entire reality is also a kind of immersive simulation, a simulated reality that we think we are there and that is life and this is the world, but we're actually um, just experiencing some sort of a simulation? That question, as strange as it may sound, is actually something that... Um, a lot of serious people are looking into these days. People uh, these days, people uh, that are uh, scientists and futurists and entrepreneurs, um, uh, academics. Uh, there are some people here that that you may know, and this is just some of the notable figure figures that have expressed interest in what is called the simulation hypothesis which is the idea that we are actually living in some sort of a simulation. Elon Musk, by the way, even went as far as to say that the odds that we are not in a simulation are one in billions. Uh, We'll see in a moment why he comes to that conclusion. But really, the question is, why are these smart, intelligent scientists, uh, philosophers, futurists, entrepreneurs uh, from across the spectrum, why are they expressing interest in such a a strange idea, in such a weird concept that our reality is a simulation? So, basically the idea is this. The simulation argument uh, goes like this. Let me show you the whole picture here. This is what computer games 
looked like when they just started. This is Pac-Man. I think a lot of people are familiar with that. This is from 40 years ago. And this is how computer graphics video games looked like about 40 years ago. This is a recent video game. And this is how uh, video games look like today. So the idea is that as our technology develops and this is just a 40 years or so difference, right? So our development, our technology develops exponentially. The idea is that ultimately, if our technology simply just continues to evolve, continues to develop, we will be able to create simulations that are even more realistic than what we have right now in video games. We'll create simulations that are so, so real that they are indistinguishable from real life. And so the question that comes from this or the thought exercise that comes from this is, wait a minute, if we are going to be able to create simulations that are indistinguishable from real life, who's to say that we're not already in a simulation created by an advanced civilization? That's in a nutshell, the simulation hypothesis. So there's some logic to it based on the, 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 the evolution, the exponential evolution of technology. So basically, there are three options that can happen as our technology continues to evolve. Let's say we go a thousand years into the future and we have very, very developed technology and we are able to create uh, simulations of the entire universe. So if we were going to have this ability in the future, then there are three scenarios that can happen here. The first one is that it doesn't happen because uh, some calamitous event happens, uh, like a nuclear world war or some meteor hits us uh, from outer space. Something really bad happens that our civilization goes extinct and therefore we won't be creating any um, uh, any simulations. So that's scenario number one. Scenario, scenario number two is that we won't kill ourselves or there won't be any meteor or there won't be any calamitous event and we will continue to survive and prosper and with our human civilization, but we're just not going to be interested in creating simulations. It's a scenario. A lot of the people that I showed you earlier uh, consider it uh, not a realistic scenario. Uh, Elon Musk, again, for example, thinks there's only two options. It's either we kill ourselves or we are killed by some, some event um, or that we will create simulations. But there is also an option that we won't be interested in that. Okay. And the third option is that we are definitely going to create simulations. And so in this scenario where humanity continues to evolve and our technology continues to develop exponentially, we will create simulation, simulations of the entire universe. And therefore, there is a viable possibility that we're actually already in one such simulation by some more advanced future version of ourselves. Now, 
the the proponents let's say of option three of scenario number three um, make the point that a capable civilization in the future won't create just one simulation but rather many 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 simulations if they have the technology and they build up their technology to that level they're going to work on the way there they're going to create many many different kinds of sim simulations there could be thousands even millions of simulations just like if you think about it today we have thousands and thousands of different video games and movies and so forth and an advanced civilization could use uh, simulations of the entire universe for research purposes it might be even more effective than trying to research the universe through physical exploration uh, it could be done for entertainment there could be many other reasons but the point is if we go with this third scenario where humanity doesn't go extinct and it is interested in creating simulations we will probably make many 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 of these simulations and therefore in that scenario it is very unlikely that we here right now are the real ones in what we can call base reality meaning if we're going with scenario number three it's become it becomes very likely that we are one uh simulation out of billions rather than the real true uh physical flesh and blood human beings in the physical base reality that's basically the argument uh, that we call the simulation hypothesis. Now, it's important to, to, to keep in mind, this is highly speculative. There is no direct science to support the simulation hypothesis or refute the simulation hypothesis. This is very far from something that uh, scientists can, can test empirically and verify. Um, and yet, the logic of it and the thinking behind it capture the um, the intellect of many many intelligent people as as we discussed a couple of minutes ago so while it's highly speculative there's also a, a consistency of the idea that we're living in a simulation with what we discover as the fine-tuning of the universe. The fine-tuning of the universe is essentially the idea that all the physical constants and laws of nature, like the law of gravity and electromagnetism and the, the nuclear forces inside the atoms and so forth, that all of those are indeed, as we find from science, they are calibrated and fine-tuned for the emergence and evolution of life. And so this is called the fine-tuning of the universe, and it is consistent with the idea that we're living in some sort of a simulation that works like computer code, and that computer code generates uh, what we see as the picture of the universe and all the laws of nature. And so this fine-tuning of the universe is all around us. It is, in fact, everywhere we look. If we, for example, uh, think about the strong nuclear force that holds atoms together. If it was too strong, atoms would not form. If it were too weak, 
atoms would just fly apart from each other very quickly. Uh, if we think about the weak nuclear force, which causes radioactive decay, if that was too weak, then fusion of new elements in the belly of stars billions of years ago wouldn't even happen. So we wouldn't even have, for instance, carbon or oxygen, elements that we are very much made of. If that force was, was too strong, the universe would not be able to expand, which again prevents the, um, the, the creation of elements and complex molecules. Uh, take gravity right? The gravitational force that holds planets and stars in place. So there is something called the gravitational constant, meaning ultimately the, the strength of gravity is calibrated. It's a fine-tuned value, and if it were too strong, planets would be too close to each other. If they would be too close to each other, they wouldn't be able to form stable orbits. If, they, if it was too weak, the gravitational force, then planets and stars would be too far apart. And again, stable solar systems like the one we exist uh, in would not form. Uh, the same goes on and on in many, many different examples. The, um, the ratio of protons to electrons in the universe is approximately, approximately equal. This means that the um, the charge, this is called a neutral charge of the universe, and that determines the behavior of electricity and magnetism. And if that that value was were were a little different, then complex molecules would not be able to form. Liquid water, which is essential to life, would not exist at all. It goes on and on. The expansion rate of the universe, it happens at a certain speed, right? If that was, were too fast, galaxies would move apart too quickly to form stars and planets. If it was too slow, matter would be too densely packed to form the structure of galaxies like the Milky Way that we were in. And, and we see these, these um, constants and natural laws that are fine-tuned for the e emergence and evolution of life also much closer to our planet, right? We live in a in a habitable zone uh, that has an atmosphere and there is a perfect mixture of gases in our atmosphere to sustain life. The um, At the core of our planet, there are metals that generate what we call Earth's magnetic field. And thanks to that magnetic field, we uh, are protected from solar radiation that otherwise would totally hit us. And that magnetic field is like a shield that protects Earth and enables the, and sustains life. Um, and also things within the planet, on the planet, like when water, for instance, turns to ice, it becomes less dense. That means that it floats. If that would not be the case, then all water would freeze at some point, killing all of the life in it, and so on and so forth. In short, the fine-tuning of the universe is very much consistent with the idea that behind this universe, behind this physical reality, there is some program that governs everything that is happening here with the aim of sustaining and developing life. So, is it really all a simulation? What does Kabbalah have to say about this?
That's what you came here for, right? We want to know what does Kabbalah say about the simulation hypothesis. So check this out. Uh, let me just move a little bit so you can see this. Kabbalist Cohen Sadok of Lublin writes this. We were as dreamers, meaning that as the truth will be revealed, all the matters considered real in this world will be as mere imagination. Let's read it again. We were as dreamers, meaning that as the truth will be revealed, all the matters considered real in this world will be as mere imagination. So what does the Kabbalist tell us here? He tells us that this means time, space, matter, everything, all of the uh, so-called laws of nature and constraints that we have here and parameters of our reality, including time, space, and matter, all of it is imaginary. Meaning that our perception is could be likened to some sort of a dream. They write, the Kabbalists write, we were as dreamers. Uh, he is referencing, referencing uh, quoting uh, Psalms here, actually, uh, which is also a Kabbalistic text. And what they, when they say that we were as dreamers, they are referring to the kind of feeling that they attain when they awaken from the dream. Meaning that when you wake up from this imaginary reality that we are in right now, which we call the physical world, when you awaken from it, it appears to be like some sort of a dream that you were in. And as the truth will be revealed, he writes, all the matters that are considered real in this world will be as mere imagination. So we, right now, exist in a limited perception. It means that we don't really know where we are, what we're actually doing here, or even who we really are. We are in some reduced experience of the whole of reality. And it's important to mention at this point that everything that Kabbalists write to us, they don't write for the sake of poetry, it's not philosophy, it's not something they expect us to believe like uh, some sort of a belief system. They are describing their actual attainment. The word spiritual attainment in the wisdom of Kabbalah refers to the ultimate degree of knowing something. It's more than knowing something intellectually. It's actually developing the senses to grasp it internally, emotionally. It becomes yours. Or in other words, you become it. You become a part of that reality that they speak of. And every word that Kabbalists write comes from this empirical attainment. And they don't expect us to believe anything, by the way. They give us a method. And from their uh, revelations, they put together a method which they perfect over many, many generations for almost 6,000 years now. And that method is ready for us to, to try it on ourselves if we want to. That's, by the way, what we teach 
at CobU. Uh, and I'll share a few details about, uh, about how you can all, everyone who's here, if you're not familiar, you can definitely try a free uh, course on CobU. And I'll share more about that later on. There's also links in the description. But this is what Kabbalah is all about. The attainment of what is beyond our limited perception, which paints a picture that we call the physical world. But here is what the um, here is what the simulation hypothesis misses from a Kabbalistic perspective. The simulation hypothesis assumes that the simulation is running in some real physical computer somewhere in the real physical world by some real physical civilization. And if we live in a simulation, we, we are a, a digital version of, of reality. Our consciousness is digital. Everything is digital. Um, and the real world is somewhere out there. We exist in a computer that uh, belongs to the real world which belongs to, uh, which is uh, inhabited by the real civilization, right? So what's happening here is that the simulation theorists, they apply the perception of the world as we know it, our, with our understanding of physics and time and space and matter and all the rest, they apply that to some base reality that seemingly exists outside of this simulation. This is the major problem, the major issue with this hypothesis. Kabbalists explain that time, space, and matter, and all of the laws of physics that we're familiar with here, our entire experience of the world, all of that is a product of our limited perception. Meaning that, and that's very important, time and space as well are part of this program that we are in. And so what the simulation theorists are doing is they're trying to understand or to determine what's in the outside real reality based on what we know from here. But if you're in some sort of a simulation... Uh, or any reality that is not the true reality, you can't conclude from it anything about how the real world behaves and how it looks like. So what about how the world looks like this fine-tuned program, the fine-tuning of the universe that we talked about a few minutes ago, right? What about that? Kabbalists very much agree with the... Um, with the fact that we are living in a 100% calculated, planned, predetermined, calibrated program. There's no doubt. Yes, we do exist in a certain program, but the idea that the program that generates our reality is generated by a computer again comes from our limited understanding of what we know from our world. We, we realize now with technology developing that computers can run code. 
and therefore they can create video games and simulations of reality. And so based on that, we say, okay, so this program that we discover is very fine-tuned for life, this whole universe, must be generated in a computer as well. But again, it only comes from our limited perception of this world. So from Kabbalah's perspective, the program that we are in and yes, that's true. We are living in a program. That program comes, however, from a deeper level of reality. And deeper means that it is more causal. That the kind of reality that we see and experience through our five senses, what we call the material world within time and space, where everything feels material, right? This reality is a consequential reality. It's a level of outcomes for which there is a deeper level of causes, of reasons and so that's where the current program as we identify it through the laws of nature in our world that's where it comes from from a deeper level a more causal level of reality which is currently hidden from us yes indeed we are not perceiving that reality uh, from the get-go and so what is this program that is really the question then. If it's not generated by some computer that is uh, operated by some advanced civilization also in a material world, then where is it coming from? What is the purpose of it? And why is it hidden from us? So these questions uh, are exactly what my teacher, Kabbalist Dr. Michael Lightman, talks about in this uh, video clip that I'm going to share with you, uh, my dear friend and fellow Kabu instructor Zohar uh, did us a favor and uh, simultaneously translated this clip for you. It was only in Hebrew before that, so uh, it's worthwhile to uh, um, stay tuned for it and be focused. I would even recommend to try to maybe make notes from it from yourself. Uh, but if if that's not how you uh, how you feel it, you can also just kind of listen to it and kind of get the spirit of it. And um, let's watch it. And after that, we'll uh, we'll move to another stage deeper into that program, and also take some questions. So let's watch. We are in a system just like an embryo within a womb in a system that binds us in every possible way. And we have no freedom of choice, no motion, not physically, not emotionally, not intellectually, rational, above the ration, not instinctive. No matter how you say it, we don't. It is all closed within the system like through shackles of iron that make it such that we cannot resemble in any possible way, in any way. That's it. And this force which closes us, 
in these details is concealed, which is why it seems to us like we're free and we don't know what to do and what will happen and how I do it and also how the general system that I'm in responds to it. It's all concealment. Altogether concealment. Why do I need this concealment? Why did nature make it this way? So that I will reveal this system that I'm in. I'll reveal this system, learn it, feel it, understand it, to the extent that I and it, in my consciousness, my understanding, my feeling, will be one. So I will become an integral part in every possible way with this system. That altogether is the place where a person is, what one needs to do, what one's role is, and what one's purpose is. Our purpose here in this world. The more we learn this nature, we learn that it's a closed, integral, serious system in which absolute laws operate and there is nothing that can happen from anything that someone did this way or that way and all kinds of accumulation of circumstances. What does happen is that we feel all that takes place with us and around us. We feel it according to our development, to the extent in which we identify with this system of operation and governance. A person, a regular person, doesn't know anything about the governance and providence. Simply lives and that's it. And then instinctively, without reason, without consciousness, kind of goes through his life. He has nothing. He simply does everything 100% in the way that the system operates him. Where does the system guide him? The system guides him to a state in which he will begin to get to know the system and enter into a connection, into a mutual connection, such a communication with the entire system. The system is called the nature or the creator. It's the same thing. It's like a big, immense system which works in a way that it brings it to a state in which all the parts in it, the still, the vegetative, the animal, and the speaking, us, all of its parts will be connected in the right way, both in awareness and understanding on their behalf, and in their correct connection between them, the complete, full connection, will discover in the connection between them that force of the system, the mind behind the system, which operates in the whole system to begin with. But it was concealed, and they reveal it. And then they identify with this force. That's called that they're adhered to him. And that is the reason for the development of the system.
Okay, so um, hopefully that sunk in a little. Um, I will go to some questions and then we'll we'll see how how to take it from there. If you have questions uh, following the video clip we just uh, saw, then go ahead and send those questions as well. So I see um, I see that Yetzi was asking something about uh, in Advaita Vedanta after enlightenment. Uh, the creator is seen as imaginary. The only thing that remains is the absolute reality. Perhaps it is the same as Ensof in Kabbalah. Okay. So first of all, Yetzi, you're asking about um, the relationship between what Kabbalah says and some uh, Indian spiritual tradition, right? I'm not uh, an expert on, on those other traditions, and uh, so I can't go into detail and, and do this comparative analysis for you. But what I will say is that um, maybe it's worthwhile actually showing this on a diagram. Here we go. So here's, here are some Kabbalistic terms in terms of how this system or this program that runs reality, uh, where it comes from and how it relates to our life here within the program. And... Um, and some to clarify some Kabbalistic terms with regards to your question. So um, let's make it very simple, actually. This, this is you, right? Um, excuse me for the uh, not very successful drawing, but I think you, you'll get the point. So this is you or me or anyone, anyone else in the world. We live in what we call this world, right? Around us, there are, there's more to reality. There's a deeper or higher, however you want to call it, system that governs everything that is happening to us. Everything that we go through in our little worlds. Now, when we, when all we know is this, um, is this circle here, when all we know, this is what we call this world or the physical world. When we begin to sort of climb out, discover the forces, the program that operates our world, this is called that we are climbing up the spiritual ladder. And what Kabbalists found is that altogether this ladder has 125 degrees. Why is it 125 degrees? There's a reason for that. I'm not going to, to go into all the details right now, but it's, it comes from the very structure of our vessel of perception. What we are discovering when we are discovering the governing program that, that my teacher was talking about in the clip, what, what we are actually discovering is not something outside of us. Rather, we discover a deeper layer of our connection to the governing program and we find it 
as a part of us, but deeper non-material layers of ourselves that we are currently not in touch with. And so that is what is happening. And altogether, there are 125 degrees of this vessel that we are made of, that we are, and that we are exploring in our spiritual development. And so these 125 degrees, uh, they, one second, they can also be divided into five worlds, five worlds. And this is called, uh, if we go by the five worlds, let me just make some room here. I'm not going to write in Hebrew the whole thing right now, just give you kind of the letters in English to to represent it, okay? So there are levels beyond our world that are called Asiya. Then um, Yetzira. I'm just going to write the letter Y. Then Bria. Then Atzilut. And then there's also Adam Kadmon. These are, um, again, sorry for the a bit of a messy drawing, but this is how we could divide the, the 125 degrees into five big levels. These big levels are big levels of concealment over the true, complete reality. That's why they are called in Kabbalah worlds because world in hebrew means ha'alama olam in hebrew is the word and it means ha'alama concealment meaning we expose or reveal these levels of concealment one by one when we reveal the entire our entire vessel uh, is filled with light in in a different uh, to put it differently then we discover what we can call, what Yetzi was asking about, which is called the light of Ensof. And Ensof, uh, this is in Hebrew, this is a word that literally means no end, as in endless, or infinite, or infinity. And that is what is meant by attaining Ensof, because that's the, the term that... Uh, that the question was was using so hopefully that helped clarify that okay um i see more questions here um dvora vidal is asking so if it's all a simulation then how should we be conducting ourselves in our life first of all it's not a computer generated simulation it is a program and if you listened carefully to the uh, the video clip from uh, Kabbalist Dr. Lightman, then the goal of this program is to get us to the point where we discover the program. So everything in our life is fine-tuned for that goal. See, Physicists, cosmologists, they can find those physical constants and natural laws and say, look, the universe is fine-tuned for the emergence of life. 
right? That's what we talked about earlier. But what we don't see with our ordinary tools of research and our five senses is that also everything that happens to us in life, our emotional development, our emotional experience of life is also a kind of dialogue with the program that governs us. It's a reflection of the program that governs us. Everything that's happening to us in life is also governed by the same program. Just like we don't see anything else random and not fine-tuned in nature, everything that happens to us that includes our feelings, emotions, thoughts, desires, all of that is also governed by the program. And so what's the goal? Where is it pushing us? It's pushing us to discover our relationship with the program and uh, as we heard in the clip, ultimately to achieve what Kabbalists call adhesion with it. Adhesion is like like glue, right? Like when two things are bonded, when they are glued to each other. So we become similar in our intentions, in our inner qualities to the governing program and that essentially raises us to to a different level of existence. Let's stop there and uh, um, take some more questions. Um, what else do we have here? Um, I see from Scott Reed, if we are in a closed system that won't go that won't going inward lead to impenetrable impenetrable barrier, and if the barrier is penetrable, uh, then it must be opened, right? Um, hey, Scott, I'm not exactly clear on how you, you phrase your question, but I think I get the spirit of it. The The bottom line is this. There is no <clears throat> prevention from us to discover the program that governs us. We can't change the laws. We can't change how this program works, just like we can't change the laws of nature in our physical experience, right? You can't change gravity. You can work around it, even to the point that you build a plane that allows you to fly, but you're not changing the fundamental laws of physics by that. In a similar way, we are not changing anything in the program that governs our life, but we learn how to observe it, relate to it um, uh, in a different way, that we become partners with it and Essentially, we assume that program upon ourselves of our own accord. And that transition from not knowing even that we are governed to recognize the governing program and adhere and bond with it, become completely integrated with it, that's how we acquire its mind, its intelligence, its heart its intention. And in that respect, we cross over through the so-called barrier that separates our limited, this, this, this limited perception that we call the material world and the, what we call the spiritual reality, which is the reality of um, uh, equivalence of form 
identification with the governing program of of reality. Um, okay, so a lot of you, some some are asking uh, the magical magician. That's a nice name. You're asking the 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 program governs our soul. Um, uh, to be conscious was asking pain, co pain comes to us because of the concealment of the system uh, Raphael is asking how can we be in balance with the system okay uh, Renat uh, Renati I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly is asking you achieve this level through yourself but somehow the system demands it for you am I correct okay so all of these questions are are very good they're exactly related to one more point that I, I wanted to make and I think will really help for all of these questions. So the basically, we can sum it all up as in the following question. Um, what, let's put it like this, what does this program want from us to become like it as we discussed as we saw from the video clip right that's the purpose of it it is hidden from us in order for us to discover it so what makes us begin to discover it how do we move towards discovering this program that governs everything we do and think and feel and become integrated with it how does that happen how does that begin right um in in uh, in the video game uh language the video game uh, the gaming jargon there's a term called npcs and npcs are essentially non-player characters so basically as long as we just live this life without asking anything about this program we are like npcs we are like those non-player characters that you see in video games, but they're not the actual character. They're just kind of surrounding um, uh, extras, right? Like in a movie, but they're not the, the actual hero, let's say. So how does an NPC, put it like this, um, how does an NPC, one of those many NPCs, non-player characters, becomes conscious, becomes comes to life, becomes an actual player in the program. That's basically what all of those questions that you've asked are pointing to. That's what we need to know. What is, if this program that governs our life is completely governing us in every way, and we are like non-player characters, we're just governed, where is that point what is that point that allows us to transcend that NPC existence mode? What is that point that allows us to suddenly uh, emerge from this program or get in contact with a deeper layer of reality, a deeper layer of the program? And the answer is that there is a unique point within every each and every human being. If you're human, you have it. Now, it might be latent. It might be dormant within you. You might not even be aware of it. But it's a unique point that all of us have. And as far as we know, only us humans have that. And that is a desire 
to discover what is the meaning and purpose of the program that appears within us when we ask questions such as what is the meaning and purpose of life this question what's the meaning of it all what's the purpose of existence what is the meaning of my life what is my purpose of being in this world every human has that question in fact we even ask it as children typically around the age of five six seven something like that if you're a human being you would have that question even if you are not sure how to express it how to articulate it but you will have it it's a natural development what typically happens is that we shut down this question we go back the program uh, that is around us through mechanisms of socializations and so on it it as if it works against it it works against this awakening because now it's up to us the truth is that every human being has this need for meaning and purpose in life that's what we live for even if we're unaware of it we all try to be something to do something to to make our life uh, uh, mean something or even we can just say we want to get the most out of life just just enjoy it as much as we can in one way or another we all try to find some sort of a story that gives us purpose some narrative that justifies our existence in this world and it's both psychological and social that's why we come together by stories that are greater than ourselves that's why we we create football teams and political parties and cities and nations all of those are ideas that the individual uh is driven to subscribe to to relate to because the individual has a need to belong to a purpose greater than ourselves and so this need for meaning and purpose in life is actually the point that's connected to a deeper layer of the program of the governing program of reality that's what Kabbalists have discovered and that's why they uh, are talking from their uh, experience from their empirical experience they found that if you focus on that desire if you make room for it in your mind and heart that desire to to discover the meaning and purpose of life the program as if elevates you to another level and that is what people who start studying Kabbalah begin to experience. And I can tell you firsthand that a lot of uh, students, uh, thousands of students that I've seen that even just begin to study, that's what they feel that is beginning to happen to them. That through that developing that desire, giving it attention, giving it a reinforcing environment developing that uh, uh, desire for the purpose and meaning of life through that they begin to feel more connected 
to the governing program of reality and they begin to experience some sort of a dialogue with it. Now, that dialogue is not exactly in words. It's an emotional dialogue. But what happens is that you begin to sort of um, experience to some extent. It goes up and down and you have moments of awakening and then you lose it and you come back to it again and so forth. And it's a whole uh, adventure and there's a whole methodology and, and I would say an inner technology that Kabbalists came up with that we use, a technology of the mind and heart of how to always get back to exploring reality, observing reality through the desire for the meaning and purpose in life. And it raises you from your ordinary experience of the world. You stay in it. We still perceive the world through five senses and we don't try to go through walls and everything's the same. But you begin to uh, have an emotional dialogue with the governing program that governs your life. It's the same program that governs all of nature. It's the same program that governs all of reality. There are no, there's no many different isolated programs. It's all one thing. And so you begin to have a dialogue that makes this world, this experience of the material world, as if more transparent translucid because everything that you go through becomes uh, becomes a relationship with the program itself with the governing program with the mind of the program and you use the advice of Kabbalists which are people like you and me except they did it already they they've went through this process and they mapped it out for us and so with their advice you can begin to correctly decipher and interpret what is that relationship that you have with the governing program. You start seeing uh, that everything in your life was was uh, calibrated to get you to ask that question about the meaning and purpose of life. That's how the program works. And so only when we consciously engage with that question about the meaning and purpose of life, we can activate another stage. We unlock another stage in the game, so to speak. This is what Kabbalists have been doing for almost 6,000 years now, and their method is only and all about that. So... Um, we do have to conclude and I do see that there are many more questions. I am going to invite those who are uh, KABU students, those who are students at KABU. I'm continuing for another hour of uh, Q&A with you. So you all have the uh, the links in, the, in your email to our, uh, to our uh, Zoom session. If you're not in KABU and you want to be part, you want to try it out, uh, I definitely recommend to do so. There is a a free course that you can you can take and start your journey. Uh, it's actually a free trial for 14 days in Kabu that allows you to check it all out to see if that works for you. Um, in Kabu, we have a bunch of different courses. Some of them are uh, according to topics, and then there's also the structured kind of learning path where you can study Kabbalah from A to Z. There's weekly live events like the Zoom session that I'm going to have right now with the Kabu students. Uh, there are student forums, there's materials on the go, so you can always 
you know, um, uh, if you're commuting or if you're if you're on your phone, you can always catch up with the new materials. In short, it's the full package. It we're really doing everything we can there to make this wisdom available to everyone. We're a nonprofit organization, so um, everything that comes in is only to be able to produce more content and reach more people. And I really hope that uh, that you'll try it out because it might really be for you. If you have that need for meaning and purpose and you feel that it's strongly speaking within you, this method will be for you. It will give you tools and everything you need in order to develop that dialogue. And so um, check it out. The links are in the description. I'm sure uh, Linda will probably post them in the chat as well. And uh, I'm going to have to conclude at this point. I know there's a, a lot more questions. Maybe we'll um, uh, look at I'll, I'll look into them also afterwards and maybe come up with some, uh, some kind of a, of a follow-up session. Uh, I'll look into it. In any case, in a minute or two, I'm going to meet the Kabu students in our Zoom session. Thank you all for being with me uh, so far. Thank you for connecting. I hope you've enjoyed this and all the best, everyone. See you, bye. See you next time. Thank you.